Hey, welcome to TPT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. On this edition, we're going to check in with Tyler Laser from Everline Drive. Really interesting conversation and really interesting perspective from a guy who's going to be competing in TBT for the third time. For more information about Everline Drive or any of the teams competing in TBT, be sure to check out thetournament.com. Tyler Laser, Everline Drive. Where does the team name come from? Uh, the team name originates from uh, a group of guys that grew up on a street together. And I, from what I understand, it was like a subdivision. And um, they're just buddies that grew up on Everland Drive. And then they uh, they heard about TBT and then made their team and just decided to name the team after their, uh, their street. How did this team come together in 2016? Uh, well, they, uh, they came together in 2014, the first year. And, um, now it's just developed into something probably completely different than what they thought was gonna first happen. Like, cause they're a group of buddies, essentially just a bunch of five, eight white guys that couldn't, couldn't play. And now it's become like professionals like professionals and, and legitimately contending for the championship. Why are you playing in TBT? I'm playing because, first off, it's a great opportunity to play with really good players. And I'm just a, a white kid from a small farm town. you know. And, and what I'm trying to do with my life as a professional athlete just like nobody does this where I come from. So so now when I get the opportunity to play with guys like Von Wafer, who has had, like, in in my idea, a, a dream career, you know, McDonald's All-American, big-time college, NBA, you know, like, to play with guys like that, it's just, like, it's just really cool for me being a basketball junkie, you know. So I play because – the competition that I desire and the companionship with, with a team, like playing with quality players that I desire. You know, to me, that's just what basketball is about. What would it mean to win TBT? Well, I've never won a championship. My high school teams were always really good teams, but we were just a bunch of kids from the neighborhood and whenever we would play the big schools in the elite eight or whatever we would lose then I go to college and I go to a school that's rebuilding and my freshman year seven wins to my junior year we have 20 wins and contending for our league championship and then I have an injury my senior year and miss my whole senior year like I haven't won a championship. Professionally, I've lost in cup championships, and I've lost in the in the championship championship in game five, in the deciding game. I just have never won a championship. So to win a championship, I think would almost validate me in my own mind as a basketball player because I always feel like I just haven't been able to get over the hump, whatever that means. You know, so to win it would just – in my mind, validate myself as a basketball player a little bit. Which team in the Midwest region besides yourselves do you guys look at as one of the best? 
Well, to be honest, I haven't really looked too much at the entire competition. Um, but, you know, you see, like, uh, alumni teams. And whenever, you, whenever you're going against a team that has veterans, it's, it's more nerve-wracking than young players. So when I see teams that have young talent, I'm not really worried about it because championships are won by veterans. So what makes me nervous is when I see teams that have – and being a team where we have guys scattered around the country, we might not get the, um, the practice like everyone, everyone else might. So um, just teams that are guys from the same area and veterans are, are the teams that make me nervous. Um, Tyler, I wanted to follow up with you what you just said about the guys being kind of scattered around the country. What is the plan for Everline Drive when it comes to preparation in advance of that first regional game on the 16th? Uh, can you just repeat that question? You yeah. broke up a little bit. Yeah, so what's the, what's the plan in terms of getting together in advance of that first regional game for the team? Okay, so what we have planned is to try and get together a week before. Um, we're trying to figure out lodging, where we're going to practice, and all these things. And because you, you need an idea going into it. Last year, we came in with a super talented team, and we and we played against essentially a bunch of 40-year-olds that were so disciplined, had plays, and they just they gave it to us. I mean, there's nothing we could do. They just gave it to us, you know. So you have to come into it prepared. And um, one of my teammates from Greece this year, Lasan Kroma, played on the City of Gods last year, the Final Four team. And he said how how serious they took it. All, all the guys took it so seriously. They were practicing and all this stuff, and they just were prepared. And so preparation is super important. And for us, we're just going to try and get together a week before and just get to know each other's games, be around each other, build some camaraderie and throw in a few plays. The, the collection of uh, players that is on Everline Drive this year is particularly talented, and it's incredible, as you mentioned at the beginning, to see where the team came from in 2014 to where it is now. Have, how much impact or insight do the players have on this team when it comes to who you're going to be playing with? Well, there's a, there's a lot of guys from um, the Atlanta and... Louisiana area, and I, I think all those guys know each other, like the Millsap brothers, um, Bon Wafer, they kind of know each other. Now me, I don't really know the guys. I know Bon just from playing with them last year. I know Raul just from playing with them last year. Um, so this year, like me and Russell Bird worked out together last night. Uh, Raul and I are are texting back and forth trying to figure out a time to work out together. So the guys in Michigan, we're trying to get together, get to know each other. And those guys down in the south, I'm sure they get together and play. So hopefully you can take two groups of people knowing each other and can combine it. You know, <laughs> I don't know what the recipe for that is, you know, but um, – you just kind of need a little bit of luck, too, for team chemistry, you know. So I just hope that everybody's quality guys and um, can just believe in each other, you know, respect each other's games because we're all professionals, you know. 
and and just have a sense of unity a little bit that's uncommon because we are just going to get together and then just try and play. How difficult is it to figure out as a basketball player what another player is good at and what another player's weaknesses are when you're his teammate? I think I, I might have broken up there. Can you break up? You broke it. Okay, so I guess the question is, how difficult is it as a basketball player to figure out what one of your teammates' strengths and or weaknesses are? Right. So, you know, honestly, that can come very quickly. You know, you can you can kind of look at a player, and within 10 minutes, first off, you know if he's good or not. Just Just the way they run up and down the court, you can tell if someone's good or not. So then people are just, we're a creature of habit. So we, we want to do what we do well, first and foremost. So you'll see a guy, you can tell by the way their form is, can they shoot? You can, you can just tell by the way they stand and dribble, if they can dribble. You know, you can tell their touch, you know, just by things that they're doing around the rim. So you can, you can quickly learn what a guy does well and what a guy doesn't do well. And, the thing about veterans is you kind of get over the fact of things you can't do well and you just cling to the things that you do do well. So that's why veterans win championships because it's, it's no longer trying to, like if I'm a shooter and I can't dribble, it's no longer, okay, I'm going to try and dribble and shake these guys because it's just not what I would do. So I'm just going to stick to shooting because that's what I do well. And now veterans, each, each talents come, come to buy, come together to form a whole piece, you know. And so as a point guard and being a point guard my whole life, I just developed the skills of being able to to see what guys do well quickly, you know. And then as a point guard, you're the coach on the floor. So now it's your job to orchestrate and organize and, and do all these things, you know. So if you have good leaders – good point guards and stuff, I think that a team can come together quickly. You've had a, a really interesting overseas career. You've played in uh, Bulgaria, where I think you won the MVP in 2015, and then this year you played both in Bulgaria and Greece. How hard has it been for you, coming from a smaller school, to get that recognition overseas, and do you feel like you've crossed a barrier in terms of your professional development? Yeah, well, um, you know, this is something I talk about with my agent all the time. You know, sometimes I don't know how much race has to do with it. Being a, a white guy, I, I think I had the stereotype of being unathletic and um, maybe soft. But uh, I used to have these conversations with my coaches in college is how am I considered an average athlete when I have – the second highest vertical on our team, I have the second fastest full course sprint, and I have the fastest shuffle on the team. How am I considered average? You know, I have a 41 and a half inch running vertical, and then you see the NBA combine where 25 inches is the average vertical jump. To to me, that sounds highly above average. You know, so I I do think that there are struggles from from coming from a, a smaller school just because on paper if you see a, a guy from North Carolina and you see a guy from Eastern Illinois you're just going to automatically think the guy from North Carolina is better 
and that's not always the case. You know, so then coming from missing my senior year from a back injury, I don't know if people are nervous if I'm healthy or not. But then you, then I, I just won't always say, look at my stats. When I'm part of the 50, 40, and 90 club every year, you got to say, well, this kid might have a little game to him. And it just, you know, it takes a little bit of luck. And when I say luck, I mean, um, just God given stuff. God just will put things in place, you know. And it just it just takes a moment of that luck to really snowball your career. And those things can happen in high school for someone. They could happen in college, or they could happen in a good year professionally or a good game professionally. You see it all the time, guys that are role players on championship teams all of a sudden get major contracts because they put together a couple games in a row, you know? So, you know, I just, I just have to keep performing and playing my game. And I just, uh, I just believe that it will work out, you know, but it is hard remaining patient. You played in the first ever TPT game. I think it was an 8:15 tip off in 2014. What, what have you seen the event do in the three years since you first played in that first game? Well, that first year, the whole competition was in Philadelphia, and then the fi- the championship game was in New York, right? Is that uh, how, how it was? It was that first year was the okay. home court vote. Uh, right. So the, the competition started as, you know, in Philadelphia, all the teams came, and now it's has four regions. And it, the competition just sounds too good to be true. I mean, $2 million to the winner. I, like, people still, I think, are are cautious because they think it's like a scam or something. And then, and then when you go to the tournament and you just see how well organized it is and you see your jerseys hanging in the lockers when you walk into the locker room, it, it just makes you feel like that kid again. You know, first off, gear, everyone loves getting gear. And the, the gear is quality. And the whole competition is just a, a quality competition. So it's it's just a blast. You know, it's just an absolute blast. And it's been great from the first year. And the second year has been great. And I have high expectations for the third year. And it's just fun to see the players that are, are starting to join in White Chocolate and Mike Bibby, you know. I just can't wait to see what this tournament is going to become. And uh, Matt and I were talking last night, like, can you imagine what would happen if we won? I mean, because it's, it's a life-changing yeah. deck that you, you that you get. I mean, th- this can change people's lives. You know, and I think about myself, I just had a, a son four weeks ago. I've been married two years now. And I think about the the things my wife and I are trying to do in our life, if we re- receive a check for $150,000, I mean, there's a level of comfort that we've never understood yet in our life. Right. right. You know what I mean? This yeah. Stability. You know, I think, Tyler, a lot of uh, people probably assume that playing professional basketball overseas is always very, very lucrative. And from what I've learned, there's really a small minority of people that are making a ton of money overseas. The rest of you guys are not living paycheck to paycheck, but you're not making millions over there. Can you talk a little bit about what that is like? Because we were saying before we even started here that 
couple of the teams you've played for have financial problems and where they don't even make payroll and stuff. What is that? What is that like as an athlete? Right. So you know, first off, as a pro athlete. And Charles Barkley says it best. Every, everyone has an ego, but as a professional athletes, sometimes we have a reason to have an ego. You know, we're, we're essentially um, thoroughbred horses. I mean, we, we're, we're men of amazing athletic talent and ability, God-given. Our bodies are muscular, you know, and we're just highly skilled in, in our craft. So we develop an ego. So now, especially if you go Division One, like I was a first team all conference Division One player, your just ego starts to grow, you know. And now you go play professionally, and you're anticipating money. You're anticipating a lot of money. I mean, you think of pro sports, you think money. And now, when like my rookie year, I signed for two thousand dollars a month, and I've, I've come from a, a poor farm town, so at first I was like, man, that's a lot of money, $2,000 a month. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then when you think of a nine-month contract, you're like, wait a minute, that's $18,000 for the year. That's not – that. I'd be like living on welfare in, in America, you know, with stuff like that. And then, then each year you have to build, but you have to remain humble in, in the aspect where you, you're not – getting ticked off at your agent because he's not signing you for six figures like right away. Like every year I put up big numbers and I put up amazing shooting percentages, but I feel like I haven't made my leap yet. Well, how, how can I be an MVP of a league where I'm playing with guys that are making six figures, but then the next year I'm not receiving six figure contract. So sometimes first off your agent might be shady. Because you gotta understand, these agents, they don't, they don't care about you really. They're, they're, they're looking to, uh, you know, stay in cahoots with, with clubs because they want to keep feeding those clubs players. You know, so like for instance, I fired my agents this year. He, there was a lot of shady stuff that was going on. He had ulterior motives. I am coming off an MVP season, and I didn't get paid six of my nine months this this year. I mean, how can you not get paid six of nine months? Right. You know, and that's the agent's job to not put you in those situations. So, but this is the thing with pro sports. Yeah, you can make $40,000 in a year. You can make $20,000 in a year. But you could have one good year, and then the next year you're making $150,000. And it could it could be like overnight like that. Or, you know, I, it's so funny because in my league, I was literally playing against guys that probably made $15,000 in the year. And then the next night I'm playing, uh, guys that make $2.5 million in the year for the year, you know? And, uh, obviously everyone wants to make money, but you have to have that patience in your career to know, like, if I, if I, first off, I believe in myself and I keep going, it can work out because sometimes guys get, frustrating they they quit you know they quit playing and you know it's just i feel like i've i've had an anointing in my life to be a basketball player i've I, that's something god has blessed me in and you just got to keep fighting through the early years you got to establish yourself and then once you make it you just keep rolling with it now it's about sustaining it let me ask you a last question who was among the guys on the everline drive team who was the angriest about not getting 
uh, an at-large selection. <laughs> well, Matt Mitchell, for sure. You know, he, this dude's like an interesting guy, you know, in, in, in the fact that he's made differently as a guy for success. He, like, people that are successful are just different. And he's got that work ethic. He's got that personality. He's got that drive that makes a successful person. So after our loss last year, he, for a year, has been trying to assemble this team. And we're talented. We, we got a lot of talent on paper. And, and then he does the hustling of getting the votes. So when he didn't get the at-large bid, it, it was a punch in the stomach probably for him. And then you got to try and ask people for money for the Boys and Girls Club, which, me personally, that's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Ask, ask people for money. Right, with your back, right, with your background. Yeah. As a background, as a pro basketball player. Yeah. You know, and I'm not, uh, I'm telling you right now, I'm not making my way for money. You know, by the way, he's <laughs> right. on a different level. Right. You know? Right. So, but, but the thing is, the perception is that I do got money, you know, and, so it's really embarrassing. It's really embarrassing to ask for money, even though it's for a great cause, you know, but still you got you got to consider egos here. You got yeah. pro athletes asking for money. You know, so just thank goodness Matt is the way he is and he somehow got us $8,000, you know, and and we got in, you know. Yeah. So it's just like So, you know, for me, I'm a friend of Matt. Winning is also something I feel like how LeBron feels to Cleveland is how I feel towards Matt. Yeah. You know, like I want Matt to get the reward of winning. Yeah. You know, just because he loves basketball and he works so hard at trying to get this together. Well, I think, and like you said, I mean, the, the Big Brothers Big Sisters is a great cause. A lot of money was raised, but it is a, it is an interesting dynamic uh, to have raised that money. And I think um, it was particularly impressive to me that Everline Drive was the team that raised the most money out of any team that was competing uh, by a long shot. It was just really an awesome thing to have seen. Listen, I want to wish you good luck in, in Chicago. Uh, I know you guys will be playing hard and hopefully get plenty of time to practice in advance. I, I really appreciate your time, Tyler. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate this. this All right, fun. thanks a lot, and we'll talk. We'll touch base soon. Okay, talk All to right, you soon. Bye-bye.